this episode of Full Stack Radio, I talked to Sam Selikoff about using Mirage.js to build production-ready front-end features, even if your API isn't ready yet. This is Full Stack Radio, episode 133. So the other day, you... When was the other day? Like Friday? Was Friday, it Friday? Yeah. So Friday, you released kind of the first real deal version of mirage js and even that is actually a little bit confusing to me and i'm interested in getting the story around that because as far as i know like mirage has been a tool that people have been using in the ember community uh for a long time so what is mirage in the fewest kind of words possible and why is it that just now we're getting kind of like the universal uh, mirage release and what is different compared to what people have been using for years in ember Good question. Good question. And the confusion is understandable. Um, yeah, Mirage is an API mocking tool for front end developers. So specifically, it monkey patches uh, window XML HTTP request and mm-hmm. fetch. And anytime your application code tries to use those to make a network request, which is how JavaScript apps get, get data from a server, Mirage is going to intercept those and return some uh, dummy data instead, basically. Got it. <clears throat> so I think. Um, someone would hear that pitch and it would be easy for them to assume that Mirage is like a library that you use when running your tests. And that's kind of the, its main job. Like, oh yeah, it's like a plugin for Jest or something. You know, it almost feels like it fits in that category. But from kind of like learning more about the project from you over the last couple of months where you've been kind of hacking on it, um, I think the real powerful part of it is kind of like the actual front-end development workflow it enables rather than like how it could or could not be used for testing. So do you mind talking a little bit about like why it's a useful tool even for, well, not even for, but why it's a useful tool just as part of your front end development workflow, completely ignoring like the whole writing automated tests side of things? Yeah, definitely. So uh, it it did come from a testing world, but what it is today is different. And like you said, it's really the development workflow it enables, which is one of the main value propositions of Mirage. And that is kind of this front-end first workflow where uh, a team that is working on a, a fat client app, you know, a, an, an SPA or, you know, even teams that build like native iOS apps, um, those kinds of apps have a data layer. They have these really nice boundaries between kind of the client interactions and the server piece. And so what happens when you're building apps like that is there's a hard dependency between the front end and the back end. And with a lot of the apps we've built and the teams we've worked with, um, that you know dependency can be difficult and slow either the front end or back end team down depending on which one's ahead of the other. And so what Mirage does is it lets the front end team basically mock out, pretend, you know, make a mirage of the back end. That's where the name comes from. So they can build out a front end against something that acts like a faithful reproduction of that back end API enough so that it lets them build out the entire feature in all the different states without needing to rely on that back end team. Got it. So I guess, can you walk through an example of like what it actually looks like to implement a feature using mirage instead of having to rely on a real server like what does the actual workflow look like yep so it's totally uh like a front-end development workflow so it basically assumes that you are 
working in a JavaScript, modern JavaScript environment with a package manager, you know, using NPM or Yarn with NPM packages. So Mirage is an NPM package. We do have a UMD build though, so you can use it if you're not using a build tool, but it works best with that. And um, basically when you get to the point in your development, let's say you're building a React app and you need to fetch a movie, a list of your favorite movies, uh, at this point in your code, you're going to be making a fetch request or you're going to be using GraphQL. You're going to do something that's going to query the server for that list of movies. And this is the point at which you basically have to decide, like, how are you going to actually get that data? How is the front-end developer going to get the data into the app so they can keep developing the UI? Mm-hmm. And there's a few options that they have. They can just, you know, uh, write some JSON data down right in their front-end code base. They can point to an existing API server if they have that. And Mirage takes this approach that you stay in your front-end code base and you basically import Mirage right in like your bootstrap file, whatever's rendering your React app. And if you're in development, you go ahead and instantiate the Mirage server. It starts intercepting all those requests. And then you can define your endpoints based on if you're writing against a REST API or a GraphQL, a GraphQL API. And so in this case, you would just say like, ah, oh, this dot get to slash movies should return these three JavaScript objects in an array. And so uh, the benefit is that you're mocking at that HTTP layer. And so the application code you write in your React app uh, is exactly the same, even as it will be in production when you're talking to a real HTTP server. So that's mm-hmm. kind of like the hard boundary that we were talking about before. Got it. So one thing that I always thought was interesting about Mirage that to me is actually like a pretty pretty exciting selling point even though maybe it doesn't sound like such a huge deal at first is i think when someone hears about a tool like this they might be they might have this assumption in their head that like okay so this is another thing where like i start up my actual front-end application server on the command line right like my npm run serve or whatever and that boots up like my actual spa and i can click around. like your webpack dev server yeah which right is like, like building your hot your reloading all that crap and then in another terminal tab i'm gonna go like npm run mirage and that'll boot up like my mirage server that's running on like another port and then in my spa i've got some environment variable that's saying what the url is that i'm supposed to be pointing everything to when i'm like making api calls but the way Mirage actually works is it's all integrated into like the same thing. There's no actual concept of like another server. There's not like some other web server running on some other port. It's literally just you boot up your React app or your Vue app or whatever the same way you normally would. And it kind of lives in uh, the same process. So it, it doesn't feel like you're like if you compare this to like, I guess, the workflow that I would expect people to be taking Um, when they're doing local development a lot of the time they have like a copy of like the api code base that's maybe a rails app and they have to go and like pull down the local version of that and run like rails serve or whatever to serve like the local rails app and then run like their proxy localhost 3000 and that's like the normal local development workflow and and if you think of mirage as being something that you have to spin up in a separate terminal tab it doesn't feel like it's great competition for that necessarily in terms of like the ergonomics of it, I guess, in some ways at a superficial level. But the fact that it's just literally, it's it's just your front end code base. It's the same serve command you've always written. You're not changing anything in your package.json script stuff. It's just literally part of importing M- or importing Mirage into your kind of startup scripts or your app.js main entry point or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of all 
just magically works as part of one thing. And for, for some reason, something about that just like makes it so much more compelling to me because it something about it makes it really feel like you are still just working in the one project. You're not trying to like do multiple things. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. I mean, that is one of the reasons I'm still working on the project to this day because you know, I'm a Rails API developer. Like that's how I've written all my backends for my JavaScript frontends. And um, you know, even though I'm comfortable with that, there's just something about that extra step. Like you were saying, oh, I forgot to run my database migrations. Oh, I need to run bundle install. Oh, I need to open up this thing and run Rails serve, and then make sure my proxy is configured correctly. And then also, especially when you're working with someone who's like new to front-end development, if you have to introduce all that complexity, it makes it way, way harder. So um, despite being comfortable working in you know, back-end systems, Mirage was always just that much simpler. It was just so much simpler that, that all the benefits were worth it um, for that, that little cost. But uh, to just be able to run serve, and like you said, the, the bootstrap process is, is super easy, right? And super fast because... It's just in JavaScript memory alongside your React code. It's all in the same mm-hmm. single process running in your browser. But um, even if like the setup to get your proxy environment was a one-time thing with like a Rails API, you still need to make changes to that API and maybe change the data on the server. And so even still, you are thinking in two different environments. Maybe you're going into Rails console or changing the database data or returning some something from Ruby code. But because Mirage runs right alongside your front-end view code and React code, um, you're just in JavaScript already. Like You're already mapping over arrays and, and, and doing filters and stuff. You can drop a debugger in a Mirage route handler and hit it right in the dev tools the same way you would if you were working on a React component. And so to me, like I have a very low cognitive like threshold for context switching. And I'm, you know, I'm just eager to like get all unnecessary things out of my brain as fast as possible. And so for me, that was always one of the benefits of working with Mirage is that it was just, it felt like so much less to think about when I was just focused on the UI. Yeah, cool. So if you're building a feature um, with Mirage, what is sort of the workflow that I guess it um, competes against, if that makes sense? Like, uh, to sort of like help set the stage, I guess, for people to sort of be able to relate to the problems that React is trying to solve. Like, what are you seeing people normally doing when they're trying to build a feature um, if they don't want to deal with the API or anything and they just want to see like, okay, well, I know I'm going to have like a list of these things. They need to like be able to render. Like, what are people normally doing there and what are some of the kind of pitfalls that people run into that make trying to incorporate something like Mirage a really good idea? Well, yep, there's a, I think there's a few ways you could look at that. First is like you're adding a new front-end only feature, meaning the back-end already exists for it. So maybe you have a more general purpose back-end. Maybe it's a GraphQL back-end with enough flexibility that you can actually build an entirely new front-end feature um, and query and mutate the data you need to with the existing endpoints. And that happens sometimes for sure when you're building apps like this because your back-ends tend to be pretty generic. Um, but, uh, you know, in that case, you can... Even in that case, actually, it's still true that you might want to put that API server into different states. So even if the API endpoints exist, you might want different 
database states so that you can see what it looks like when there's zero movies or 100 movies for pagination, right? Things like that. Mm-hmm. So even let's take that very simple case where you're actually not modifying the back end, um, you still have a stateful back end. And so what do existing uh, folks do? Well, like you said, they either run it locally. So if you're comfortable enough running your API server locally, then you can do that. And you know this can be anywhere from running a, no- a node or a, a Rails server to like running a whole Docker image or, uh, you know, to bootstrap this environment that has like a database set up, maybe it has Redis set up. And so again, this is where really the benefits of Mirage start to shine because the app doesn't really care what's running back there. But if you need to change it, all of a sudden you have to understand all these moving pieces. Um, But if you do get that running locally, then you can put the database into different states and you can build out your feature and then maybe you write some tests for it, and maybe in the test you kind of mock things out statically, just one-off mocks for those requests that, that power the feature. Um, other times we've seen people you know, point to proxy servers. They have shared proxy, shared staging environments that people use to, to develop features. But again, like if you're working in a really data-driven app, uh, this breaks down pretty quick. Like if you imagine trying to build like budgeting software, it would be really hard to have a single shared staging environment. Maybe you make different accounts with different setups. But again, you can see this mm-hmm. really breaks down pretty quickly. So um, again, this is where Mirage signs, shines because you have all these different scenarios defined. They live inside the front-end code base, but it's essentially stateless. And so each front-end developer or team can kind of make whatever scenario they need to power all the different states of a new feature locally yeah. without worrying about the back end at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we should talk about that in more detail in a second, but I also want to make sure that we kind of tackle some of the like basic stuff up front to make sure that people get like the right picture in their head of how it's supposed to work. So, yeah, um, so I can. Uh, there's a, the other part of the story is if you need a new new backend functionality to support the front end, and I can just talk about that real quick. Yeah. Okay. So let's start from there. So what would someone normally like? Not necessarily what would they normally do, but like what's a story that people can relate to? They're trying to build out some new front end feature, like the API isn't quite ready yet. Like what yeah. are they doing in their React code base or their Vue code base? Yeah, maybe the API team is managed by a team of Java developers. You're like, I'm never going to get that on my machine ever. I don't even want it there. (laughs) So uh, let's just, you know, let's meet and agree what this is going to look like. You know, I'm going to send you data that looks like this. It's going to be in a post request or, you know, and you'll send me this get request and it's going to have a root in the key. So there's some communication that happens there. Hopefully you have some consistency and conventions around it. So, you know, you eliminate uh, some of that. But there's usually times where that breaks down because we're all basically making like these bespoke APIs for every single app we build, which is just yeah. kind of crazy. But um, no, a lot of times front end developers will then use a lower level mocking tool, or you know, a lot of times people will just start with data, like um, you know, the homepage of Mirage, kind of the story that it paints, which we see a lot, which is just the easiest thing to do. You're working on an app and you need an array of movies. Eventually, it's going to come from the server, but I'm going to start just by creating JavaScript array and give it an array of pojos and it's going to have a title of interstellar and a director of Christopher Nolan. And, you know, and, um, that's what I need for my UI. And I'm thinking from the UI first, like I'm the, 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 the HTTP request and response is an implementation detail. I know that the UI needs to end up like this because I know what I'm building. And so that's what I'm going to focus on first. And I'm just going to create some dummy data, right. in react code to help me keep moving. Yeah, and that's something I've done in view all the time. Like just in the data property, I'll just say like items colon array, stick it in there, and then just start building out the actual HTML and interactions and stuff like that, and knowing that that's all there. But doing that, you can run into all sorts of like weird problems, right? So, what are some of the things? 
that people screw up when they're kind of working that way if the API doesn't exist yet. Yeah. So right, even you being you know comfortable with Laravel API development, it's still way faster to just drop some JavaScript data in there. The problem is that you've now kind of compromised the the integrity of your front end code in the sense that you're no longer really working or building or testing in a production like environment. And we all know you know you want that differences between dev and, and and production to be as little as possible. So specifically here, if you were to just add a data property to a view app and add some movies to it, well, now you're not accounting for the fact that in production, your app has to load that. It has a new state where it is loading the data from the server and the request is pending. And so you now haven't accounted for that in the UI. Um, or an error state where the, the backend comes comes back with an error. Or you know the data is like zero movies or 100 movies or whatever. And so you're not really writing code that's ready for the network, even though that is the app that you're building. Your app will be deployed uh, in an environment where it's going to be talking to an HTTP API server, um, but you're not really thinking about that at all. Like, that's not even, there's no feedback in the way you're writing code that is informing you that you might be coding pitfalls without realizing it, basically. Whereas if you had, you know, that local Rails API server running, at least you would see that stuff as you build. Right. Yeah. So that's that's the sweet spot that Mirage tries to get. It's it's just as convenient as dropping those data props right there, except you're doing it in the right boundary, which is outside of your app. Yeah. So it's forcing you to still get that data by typing fetch parentheses, whatever, um, but trying really hard to make it so that's just as easy to set up that sort of stubbed data as it would be to just put an array in your, yeah, I mean, in your JavaScript. It's literally a JavaScript import. You know, you're importing your components, you're importing React, you just import server from Mirage and just new it up and you're off. So there's no excuse not to use it when you start building a feature um, because it's just as easy for the front end developer. It's super comfortable um, and yet it is in the right spot architecturally to make sure that you are thinking about data fetching and data persistence asynchronously over a network from the beginning, which in our experience is absolutely the hardest part of building these kind of fat client apps. And so that's another reason why we really care about this um, because this is like, it's almost like the, the what is it? The, um, the elephant in the room, which is yeah. that like React makes it so easy to build, you know, a, a autocomplete dropdown UI, um, except like it doesn't work on its own without getting data from a server Totally. And that's like actually ends up being one of the hardest parts because that's what yeah. introduces asynchrony yeah. into the whole thing, which is what makes stateful UI development so hard. Yeah, like and the the evidence of that is that like React has been trying to develop a story to help people with all this data fetching stuff for like three years and it's still experimental, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So and not to mention, like not we haven't even talked about the fact that when you make these kinds of apps, you have copies of the server data in your front end app which can fall out of sync with the server. And so you have like issues of, you know, cache, stale cache and referential integrity, all these things that if you are just using local mocks and not considering the network, you're ignoring. And so you're just kind of not really being set up for it to fall into a successful area. Yeah, yeah. Like at first you might just think, okay, well, the only thing that I'm really missing out on is like the loading spinner when the data is coming in. But in the real world, there's all sorts of more complex stuff that you're going to, be screwing up like the whole caching thing is a great example like if you're trying to avoid making the same api request multiple times as you navigate around your app then you're going to be storing that data in like your redux store your vuex store or whatever and if you just have an array sitting in your right in your component 
like yeah that's great for getting kind of experimenting with like sort of the happy path really fast or whatever but uh you're gonna hit a wall really quickly where like you're really siloing this code out from really important infrastructural pieces of your application so i guess like maybe it's the next thing that'd be interesting to talk about is what does this actually look like compared to that um kind of naive kind of solution because like we talked about the reason people do things that way is because it's convenient and they just want to move really really quickly they just want to like see the you know the mapped list of li elements with buttons in them and just be able to like get it working and not really dick around with any of that other stuff so how does mirage like afford that same convenience uh without it feeling like okay well this is just as much work as like just booting up the rails app or whatever right. you know because it yep. feels as a, to me like the threshold is like really low yeah. for people to be willing to put in like even that extra ounce of effort you know what yeah. i mean yeah um so yeah there's a i i think the 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 benefits that make you willing to cross that threshold are when you see that like I can create a post request that creates a new movie and then I go back to the index page of all movies and I see my new post that I just created there. And um, because Mirage has this notion of like an in-memory database that it uses to to dynamically generate the responses yeah. in the same so, way a real server would. That's something we haven't even mentioned, right? And I, yeah. was, uh, I was trying to like see what we can, what, what we can like extract before you even get there. But that yeah. is like the crucial, like yes. one of those big deal things, right? So now... If you're doing the array thing, you have like an, a list of movies and you want to add like a new favorite movie. Like if that all happens right there in that one component, like sure, you can see that interaction. But now like you click to another route that's going to be showing you that same data presented in some different way. Like yep. that's all gone because yep. it wasn't coming from some single source of truth. But Mirage solves that problem. So but before we can get to that, I think yeah. it would still be interesting to talk about like what from like a purely technical mechanical perspective. Yeah. You have this array of yeah favorite so movies in your component. Where does it go now if you want to do it through Mirage instead? Exactly. So before using any of the layers of Mirage that exist to help you solve these other problems, when I ever teach people, whenever whenever I teach people Mirage um, to start, I always start out with that simple case because it's very easy. So basically, like instead of having a data with an array of objects, you have a Mirage server, which you new up. And it takes uh, options object with like a routes hook, which is where you define the API routes that it intercepts. So you could do something like it looks just like it's inspired by uh, Express's API. So mm-hmm. it'd be like this dot get slash movies, and then the second function, second argument is a function that returns the response. So you can just literally copy and paste that array of data into that function, and now um, the only way that you're SPA can get access to that data is by making a network request to that URL. So gotcha. it's so, basically so, two lines of ceremony instead of that array, but now you're going through the network API, which is what your app needs to do in production. Yeah. So what is a typical workflow like that like triggers someone to write those routes or what is your recommended workflow? Like are you working on this component thinking, well, I'm going to need to get this from this URL. I go over and do that first. Or are you doing it kind of the reverse way where it's like, okay, I'm going to try and fetch this data as if the server existed, see an error about like this route doesn't exist and use that to sort of drive out the. Yeah, that's, that's more my favorite approach. Cause it's more almost feels like when I do TDD code in, in a, in a rails app yeah. where you try to use the API first. So you, again, you're doing outside in development. 
like the API endpoints are an implementation detail of what you're building and even of the kinds of APIs you want to um, code it in from the perspective of the application developer. So from the app developer, you're like, you might say, yeah, I need to find all the movies and maybe you're making a fetch request. Maybe you're using a data fetching library to do that, but you're going to start there and say, all right, let's set state to loading and let's go ahead and fetch some data. And then if you're running Mirage, what's going to happen is Mirage is going to come up with an error in the console that says, you know, your JavaScript app tried to make a get request to slash movies, but there wasn't any route to find to handle this request. Um, so then that's just guiding you. So you just follow the error message, you go to routes, and then you define that, and then you can just return some data. And so that's kind of like the outside in approach, which we really uh, um, like recommend people. That's how they build front end features, um, especially using Mirage. It's all about outside in, you know, and treating those as a detail. Um, also, like a lot of times, if you do that, you will uh, get feedback. One of the benefits of Mirage is that you get feedback on the on the data, the API routes that you need to power the feature. So this has actually happened a lot where you think like, oh, I'm building this UI, an index page for movies. I know I'm going to need a get request to slash movies, so you know we can just start with that. But it turns out like you actually need a page of movies and you need the reviews. So you actually are requesting a graph of data. And uh, sometimes that graph is so complex that you actually end up wanting to make a new server resource um, that, that puts that graph of data together to make it easier for the front end to query. There's just some situations where the actual query that you need to power a page is so complex that you end up hiding some of that complexity behind a new server resource. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, if you start from the outside in and start from building the feature, you're already learning that by the time you say, okay, now we need to go implement this in Mirage as a mock, and we're going to learn so much, and is it going to actually get us all the way there, that you have a way better understanding of what the API endpoints you need are uh, before you've even talked to your backend team. So the, that's definitely the recommended a- approach and the flow where you go outside in, starting from the feature, let Mirage give you feedback about what's not defined, and then, you know, usually we write a lot of tests after we kind of finish something and, and, and um, that seals it up. Yeah, cool. So I think probably the next interesting thing to get into that we just kind of alluded to is like it's easy to imagine how this all works for, for like stateless get requests, right? Like that's kind of what all we've been talking about. Oh, I need to fetch this data from the API. I need to fetch that data from the API. But there's like a whole class of API interactions that are like mutations, right? Like I need to like mm-hmm. submit a new favorite movie or I need to like reply to this comment or all sorts of stuff that actually changes the the state of the server. And um, when you're trying to build a feature like that, um, you're never basically never going to run into a situation where you could even make that work using just like an in-memory array in, in your component because the nature of real applications is that there's everything is sort of connected in different (laughs) ways right like this route needs to show data that i created in this route like it's not like everything is some siloed little isolated thing so if you actually want to be able to like use the app like a real app you're (laughs) going to need like some some real way of like storing the actual data so if you're trying to do something like create a new i don't know whatever anything um you need that data to actually live somewhere and and historically i feel like the only way that people have been able to do these sorts of really like end-to-end sort of testing of like their javascript applications is with a real server because even some of the other tools i've seen 
that do kind of work in the spin up another server on another port sort of way, mm-hmm. really just like return static data. Yeah. Um, so, so there's like a really popular one of those really fast. Yeah, exactly. JSON server is a really popular one where you create some fixture files and it gives you like an instant rest backend, mm-hmm. but even it struggles with referential integrity and making sure there's a single source of truth for stuff. So, yeah. Um, so what's like the Mirage story there? Like, what does it look like if I want to create an endpoint that lets me post some JSON that I want to be able to see show up somewhere else when I start clicking around the app. Mm-hmm. So, yep. So kind of, as we said earlier, like Mirage starts off by saying, let's just do a static route handler. It's what we call static. Cause it's just returning that static array of movies from a get request. But of course it's always going to return that if you have it hard coded because you hard coded it. Yeah. So quickly you want to do what you talked about, which is like when I post, uh, add that to, um, the, the kind of single source of truth database. And when I get, return everything that happens to be in the database at the time of the request. So this is where the concept of the database comes in, which is really just a fancy JavaScript object that is some shared state between all route handlers. So every route handler gets a DB as an argument, and uh, that's how you can use this kind of global state. So it's very similar to even like how people are building apps with React and Redux, where Redux is like your entry point into mutating shared state. It's kind of the same idea. I mean, that's how servers work, right, with a database. So um, kind of all the same ideas, you know, Mirage is really just uh, pulling these together and making it convenient for front-end developers. But to the long story short is basically your, your route handler, instead of returning uh, a hard-coded array of three movies, it returns like, you know, schema.movies.all or something like that. Um, and uh, that way you can just automatically get all the data in the database so that's kind of how that works and then same with patch you know and delete and all the crud operations can just mutate that database and that's what maintains the referential consistency so if we want to like kind of take the next step from the example we talked about before where you're just trying to fetch a list of movies from the api you've gone into sort of your mirage server definition and you've said okay well i have like a slash movies endpoint and it should return this hard-coded array um, obviously, it can't just return a hard-coded array of movies anymore if you want other routes to be able to be interacting with that same data. It's like, where does that array get moved to in terms yeah. of like how the code is structured and stuff like that? Yep. So the first argument is called schema, like I referenced earlier, which is how you access Mirage's database layer. So you can comment out those uh, hard-coded objects and instead return schema.db.movies, which is just going to reference whatever's in the database and then you would use a new hook called seeds where you can seed mirage's database at the initial booting up of your application and you can say db dot load um load data you know uh, movies colon and then that array of data so now that data is like instead of just representing a static response to a url it actually represents like the normalized database data that lives in the database so it's like three movie models that live in the database at the time when the mirage server is created got it so that's like another hook in the server that is kind of like run all this code whenever you first boot up the application it's going to throw a bunch of this and and do you have to do anything in terms of like defining like this schema in any sort of way or is it pretty just kind of on the fly like dynamic yeah there's a couple things um 
it, it does need to know like the model type. So if you, there's a couple of ways to do that. If you can, in the seed, the seeds hook is a function that gets the server. So you can call server.db.loadData and pass in an object with keys that are the model names and then values who are arrays of objects. So if you were to call db.loadData and then do movies and then do that, then Mirage knows you have a movie, movie model and it's going to let you do things like db.movies.insert in your route handlers, um, you know, schema.movie.all, all, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, the other way is is that Mirage has a factory system, which makes it even easier to create dummy data because anyone who's worked on a JavaScript app and had to, or even a Rails app and had to like hand uh, write and maintain huge fixture files with foreign key associations knows that's really hard. So Mirage's factories let you create things at like a resource level instead of just inserting raw objects into a database. And there you can tell Mirage that you have a movie model just by using the models key. So that's another hook alongside seeds and routes where you get to define kind of your schema um, for Mirage if you want to take advantage of some of its uh, ORM features. So do you use the seed like hook and the model hook together? Yep. So the seeds is just a function that just gets run. If you do server uh, db.load data, you're inserting records right into the database. But yep. if you call server.create and then you say movie and then you pass in some stuff, it's going to go through the factory if you have one and ultimately insert a record into the database. But that lets you do things like, you know, server.create director, uh, Christopher, name Christopher Nolan, and then like nolan.create movie. And that's going to create you a movie with a foreign key that Mirage manages for you. So it works just as very inspired by um, Thoughtbot's a factory bot library for Rails. Yeah, yeah. So it's really just it's just relational sugar on top of managing all those objects yourself. Because and we can talk about this if we want, but you know when we added the ORM to Mirage, like what was the reason for that? Why did we do that? But um, yeah, that's 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 usually the preferred way to work because it lets Mirage do way more of the heavy lifting for you when it comes to maintaining all of these uh, this data. Yeah, so I think like one thing that maybe is worth clarifying when you when you talk about the word like model, I think it's probably easy for people to think or maybe not, not incorrectly assume that there's like some really true like real concept of like a model and like Mirage is dictating in any way like how your front end should be working with like the things that come back from the server, but Am I right in saying that, that that's not true? Like the fact that there's something called a model in terms of like the Mirage schema, um, that doesn't mean that you're going to have like a, a movie.js file in like a models directory in your React code base and you're going to be working with that. Like sure, you could do that if you want, but still from like your actual UI front end apps sort of perspective, you're just getting back plain JavaScript objects, do whatever you want with them. That's exactly right. The The model... And the notion of the factories and, and all, all of these are concepts that live in Mirage, which really conceptually is on the other side of the HTTP boundary from your app, um, yeah. just to help simplify your server definition. Again, yeah. if anyone has worked on a JavaScript app and done a lot of mocking, it gets very unwieldy quickly. Um, and so all of these abstractions made their way into Mirage in order to help alleviate those kind of pain points. Mm -hmm. So yes, it's really just models is just an object and you say movie colon model, and that's all you do. It's like schemaless. So, you know, that's something that some TypeScript folks are working on, like how to add types. So you would want to know the shape of the data, you know, GraphQL, same thing. So who knows what the future Mirage will look like. But today it's, it's schemaless. 
but Mirage just needs to know about your relationships. So you can do things like um, a director has many movies. And then again, that helps clean up your seed files. You don't have to manage those foreign keys yourself. They're just abstractions within Mirage to help simplify your server definition, but they have no bearing on how you actually structure your front end code, whether you have model files, whether you use Redux, whether you use an ORM in the client or not, um, or just making fetch calls. Yeah, cool. One thing you kind of alluded to earlier is that um, Mirage can help you sort of test out your application easily in like different states. So whether like, okay, there's no data in the database for this user yet, or this user has logged 10,000 favorite movies or whatever. Um, so what does that, I guess, look like in terms of the actual API um, with Mirage? So you've got this like seed hook or whatever, but how can you kind of like set it up with multiple different stuff in like the most efficient and ergonomic way possible? Yeah, well, this was one of the things that got me excited when I first started working on Mirage is that when you just do the static mocks, maybe in your tests, maybe in your components, you're having to copy and paste those all over the place. But just like in a real server, the logic for a route handler stays the same. It's just the state of the database that changes. Like your server yeah. is actually stateless from the perspective of the application code in it. Um, like a PHP app or you know, or a Rails app is like a stateless giant function, which just takes in a request and based on the state of the database returns a response. Mm-hmm. So Mirage, when you run it in a test environment, loads up all of the routes that are in that routes hook because that's the same stuff that you use in development. And again, there's another benefit of Mirage that you get to share it between development and testing. But it doesn't run the seeds hook that you wrote for development that you were toying around with when you were building the feature. Instead, it starts the database out empty, which gives you a natural kind of place within the tests or within like before each hooks in your test suite to set up the server state in exactly the way you need it to be for the given test module. So what would that look like? Well, let's say we were testing out this movie page and we start out by instantiating the Mirage server, but it's in a test environment and so it doesn't have any data at all. So it's just an empty database. And so your first test is going to say, you know, it shows a message when there's no movies. So we're going to visit, you know, we're going to render our app component and visit the root URL. And then we're going to assert that the UI shows that there's no movies that you've created yet. Mm-hmm. And then that'll be the end of the test. Next test, you'll say when there's a movie that already exists, I see it. And so you'll say, instead of the first line being like render the app component or like visit slash URL and boot up the app, the first line will be kind of your assembly phase where you say server.create me a movie with a title of Interstellar. So that's like the, in AAA testing, that's like the first step that you do. It's like you assemble the data, the state of the world needed for that test so that when you render the app or visit the slash URL, um, when your React app or your JavaScript app boots and makes that fetch request, Mirage is already running and the server state is already in the state it needs for that test. So you're going to get that movie back. And then now right in the test, you can write an assertion. You know, there's an H1 on the page with the title Interstellar. So right. it's it localizes only what you need to change for that test. Um, and it uh, keeps all those details about how the API actually works out of that, which which makes for not having brittle tests and, and keeps them really focused. So that's another huge benefit. Is there any easy way to like do that sort of thing? just in like local development like if you wanted to just like boot up the mirage server in one state or another like is there any sort of like i totally see how you could just like have a be requiring a couple different files and comment out the ones that you don't want to use is that kind of like the recommended 
Yeah, originally we had this notion of like scenarios and we had the default scenario and we we're going to have like a scenario switcher. But right now it always was just there was nothing clearly better than just commenting and uncommenting functions. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, in Ember map, we have like um, state of the user. There's basically four meaningful states the app can be rendered in. It's like anonymous, um, you know, user, a subscriber, and an admin. So we just have like a variable that we can just change on the line and we run these different functions which call different like server creates in in the seeds. And um, so that's, it's as simple as that basically. Yeah. Some people what? have done like process, like uh, environment variables, where um, you know teams have done this, who have really complex data setups, and they can say you know Mirage scenario equals um, you know subscriber you yeah. know Rails serve, and then that will run like the subscriber situation you know uh, a scenario and like and then boot the app. And they just have to write a little bit of boilerplate to check that environment variable and exactly. call the right function, basically, which is like nothing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We do have it is. I, I will say like it is surprising, but I think the biggest benefit of Mirage is like the data creation. Because if you imagine again, like just imagine trying to work on an app with authentication, like, and you get yourself logged in and logged out. And I want to see it as this user, like these things are really complex to do when you have to interact with the production systems and people who have mocked out everything with Mirage, that's why they keep using it. That's the huge benefit. And so, um, being able to easily create data scenarios and switch it is like something I have ideas for how maybe a UI in the future or some sort of APIs could help out with um, because that is really a core part of why you'd want to use something like Mirage. It's just that I don't want to get Redis into this thing just so I can see what the button looks like. I just want to make it way easier than that, right? Yeah. One thing that I think is kind of interesting too, that's I think kind of related to this workflow and this is an assumption, but I'm I'm curious if this is true. Is it true that like if I was working with Mirage and I wanted to change some seed data, would I need to like change everything in like my server config, then like control C, kill like my Webpack server, restart it so it was fresh? Or could I literally just like do a hard refresh on the page since everything is like in memory and all that stuff is getting booted up in like my app.js kind of entry point anyways? Yeah, that's one of the huge benefits. So if you have, haven't actually worked with Mirage, um, it's going to hot reload and, and just like you know, and 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 rebuild your app um, and reload the browser just like oh, your, I guess, whatever you're. I guess you wouldn't even have to refresh, right? Because if as soon as you save the file, if you're using like, if you're watching your files for changes and automatically like refreshing your assets when you do that, then yeah, it just it's just going to change immediately. Yeah, it's instant. I mean, you can see on the video on the homepage is just me working in a vanilla Create React app with Mirage, and I'm just you know tweaking the data, clicking save, and it's it's part of the application path at that point. And so all anything that would normally happen if you were to save a new file in a View app or React app is the same yeah. thing with, with Mirage. So that's I why think- it's so fast. That's one of the reasons you get such fast feedback is because, and this is why mocking with a real Node server is way more complex, even though with a real node server, like you have some more power, um, you're on a different port. So like, how would you debug an express uh, route handler? Like, how would you do that? Yeah. I don't do know. you know? Yeah, I, I mean, I always have to look it up. With express, so. There's like some really long thing that you'd have to do and um, to enable the debugger in node. Like, if you're mm-hmm. using VS Code, there's some good integration. But the sure. point is, it's a completely different workflow than what a front-end developer is used to doing, which is just dropping a console log or debugger in their copath and looking in the dev tools for it yeah and and so, like, i think my normal workflow if i was doing something like this with laravel would be basically change my seed data 
um, rerun like my migrations from scratch to like kind of blow out the database and rebuild it with like whatever the new data is, then go yeah. um, start and playing that, with the feature in the browser. That's which is fine. pretty quick still, it's but it's not the quick. same as just like hitting save and like yeah. having it be magically done. Yeah, exactly. So it's that again, these are all the little things that what it was like mirage is pretty complex like you're recreating your whole production api why don't you just teach people how to use rails but if you laser focus on being a developer tool you will always win in in this arena always like i've just never used anything that gives me this feedback as as fast as using mirage something right alongside your front end code to build this stuff so i mean related to that point actually this was something i want to get into next is I could see how like it's it feels like a slippery slope from returning hard coded st- static array data to like I'm literally recreating my entire Rails <laughs> app in like my Mirage setup stuff and just even though the goal is to keep things as close to production as possible and the behavior as close to production as possible now it feels like you're trying to like synchronize two versions of production written in possibly different programming languages that do like mm-hmm. completely different things right mm-hmm. and it feels like straightforward enough when you're just returning you know basic stuff but i could totally imagine a situation where it starts to feel like your mirage route definitions and stuff are starting to get pretty complicated in terms of like okay well we have to like validate some data that's being posted to us and so we have to duplicate the validation rules that we wrote in our rails app like what's this what's the story i guess for that sort of thing like wh- how complex can these route handlers get and yeah. is what are the problems that people run into there how do you help people avoid running into problems there definitely so that that was definitely um like especially in the beginning because it was so convenient uh, people kept going down that road, and uh, when Mirage had fewer features, their route handlers were more complicated to reproduce things like pagination and filtering and, and sorting and all these features. Um, and uh, there was this fear of like, this is like a lot of code, and it's like reproducing my backend. Um, is this like really wise, right? But that's what drove a lot of the features that were added to, to Mirage in an effort to keep the user land server definitions as simple as possible. Um, and so that's where like the ORM came and the serializer came, which do a lot to, to minimize like how much custom logic you have to do. There's also a, kind of a, a, like a, a dependent effect here where like what happens when teams use Mirage sometimes is that it's not completely independent uh, from like their backend and their their teams communicating. It actually encourages kind of more consistency uh, because if we know the rules of the system and every route handler behaves similarly, like it's just going to make all of our lives easier. Like we as front end developers know better what to expect from the backend, and we back end developers have like a rubric to follow. And so it actually turns out that the more consistent uh, your API is your production API. The much easier it is to to reproduce with a tool like Mirage. So that's actually like a benefit of, of using it that we see happen a lot. But basically, uh, the ORM and Mirage maintaining your relationships and being able to like do uh, graph fetch and and persistence for you um, did a ton to simplify those route handlers. And so. You know, Ember Map is a video site that we run, and we have the entire Rails API mocked out. And um, you know, it's uh, there's some some route handlers that are like always going to have some custom stuff to it. But um, for the most part, again, all those little 
uh, productivity wins add up, kind of like what you were saying, like even just making a small change and running a database migration, like you don't have to do that with Mirage, you just save it and it's just a JavaScript object. So it just turns out that all those people who have been using Mirage for years and, and saying how much it helped them be productive on the front end, you know, that is a downside. Like this is true anytime you mock anything, actually. Um, like any, like Sandy Metz talks about this. Uh, anytime you mock something and then either develop or write a test against it, you run the risk that the mock is kind of like out of sync with the real totally. thing yep. and you have to maintain the mock. And so this is not a problem that's unique to Mirage, but it, it is something that Mirage has to deal with. And kind of her answer is that you can have a separate test that kind of verifies both the real API yeah. and the mock implement the same interface. And so mm. we've actually seen some people do that. This is kind of a tangent. Coming back to the main question here, I just think it turns out to be the productivity wins that just dramatically outweigh the costs of like writing Mirage server code. And um, also like the more dumb your backend is, then the easier it is to mock out. Yeah, that makes sense. So in the particular case of like doing server-side validation, does like Mirage give you tools for that sort of thing? Or is that just like a writing some conditionals in your code? Or yeah, what do you do to deal with that like in your own apps? Yeah, uh, conditionals in the route handlers and some of the bigger projects with like complex forms we've had. We just use, you know, like uh, composition with JavaScript functions where... Um, you know, because of every route handler is just a function that gets a schema to it, you have access to the whole state of the server. So even if you have a validation that's like, you can't create this model unless this other model exists, yeah, yeah. You, can, you can abstract that stuff and, and write very simple versions of it that aren't going to be as complete as your real API, um, but they're going to be enough to drive your, your development. And again, like Mirage is just completely focused on the developer experience case and not making it Mirage has never added features that make it harder to work with for the sake of being like a real server. So like a database migration, for example. Sure. That sh- that's like that would make the developer experience much worse. And it's just a tool for the front end developer, right? So with Mirage, you can also just create one-off um, handlers that overwrite things. Let's say you wanted to write a test for validation. Another approach, instead of like adding that logic to the actual root route handler, would just be to say, oh, this in this test, when we make a get request to uh, get the users user slash one, we're going to return a 404 that says you're not allowed to. Or in this test, when you try to create a movie with no title, we're going to return a JSON object that says errors, you know, the title can't be blank. So there's a couple ways you can get around it gotcha. that kind of embrace that practical, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's not... That totally makes sense if you're looking at it from like a mirage in testing perspective. I keep picturing it as like just for the development workflow, right? But yeah, if if you're writing your tests against Mirage, it's way easier to just say, well, like for this purposes of this test, this endpoint behaves differently than it does for this test. And now you don't even have to like have it run the actual validation code. Yeah. It's just right. this will always return a four twenty two that says right. username is required. You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. So. But but you definitely see people adding logic in their in their like global config in their in their routes config. And you know, it's just it's mm-hmm. just it's not too bad. Like it just ends up not being that huge of a problem. Um, cool. So so with like the uh, you you mentioned like the ORM a few times. Am I right in saying that like the ORM is just kind of what we already talked about with like the ability to do like schema dot creates users or movies and then 
whatever or is there like more to it than that and specifically i'm asking because if you're working in that approach where you're no longer just like having your route handlers return like some exact structure that you define right um to me that's telling me that like mirage has some sort of built-in conventions around like what it wants the shape of your data to look like when it's being returned so what are the sorts of conventions that mirage sort of pushes you to embrace and if you're working with a backend api that needs to return things structured in sort of a different way are you still able to get the benefits of working with like the orm and stuff like that or do you kind of have to drop down to that low level of controlling the exact responses from scratch yeah i'm glad you asked because that's something that when people first come to mirage or sometimes it's easy to get confused about but um the mirage recommends using the orm for all the reasons we talked about and it does prescribe conventions but this is conventions for how you put data into mirage's database so let's say you have a director uh that has many movies and a movie belongs to a director and so that's how your api works and you have something like a director id that lives on the movie um so Mirage's conventions is going to be kind of what you would expect in a JavaScript environment. So it's just going to be camel case attributes and it's going to be um, like relationship name with capital ID or capital IDs if it's a has many. Um, And then if it's polymorphic, there's something else, another shape. But all of those conventions on how to put data, relational data into Mirage's database and how it manages the foreign keys don't affect your actual uh, shape of your JSON data across the wire. That is based on the serializer layer. So you should always take advantage of Mirage's ORM and then configure the serializer layer to do things like, do we have like, do we just get back an array when we do a get to slash movies or do we get an object with like movies in the root and then like a meta key alongside of it? Those yeah, are like exactly. serializer concerns. Gotcha. And so that's where that lives. Yeah, because like the reason I ask is I'm thinking like, say you want to build something that's like JSON API compliant and now like the actual thing coming over the wire has like an ID at the root where normally that ID is right alongside like the director's first name, last name, but like with JSON API, if I'm remembering right anyways, there's like an attributes key that like all the stuff except the ID lives under or maybe the ID is duplicated there, but the ID also lives at like the root because it's kind of like a global identifier. And so you have control yep. over all that by just sort of kind of writing sort of an interceptor for like this came back from the database. This is how it should be massaged before it's sent over HTTP. Exactly. Yeah, we even include a JSON API serializer, which does all that. So if you're making a JSON API, it's even easier. Um, we also have like an active model serializer, which is based off of the format from Rails' active model serializers, which is like a pretty popular format. But um, yeah, they've all th- those, all those libraries have thought about all the problems. Should you include a root? Should you have meta? Where do we put this stuff? How do we link related data in a graph and a payload? And so, you know, backend teams, people writing APIs are going to be using libraries like that whether they're in Phoenix or Laravel or Rails, whatever. And so Mirage is absolutely designed to recreate any, basically any API um, using those layers. And so it's really the serializer layer, which has a normalized hook when the payload comes in. You put it into a certain format, which Mirage is going to know how to like put into the database and mutate things. And then when it goes out, you have like a serialized hook, which is how you turn, turn Mirage ORM models and collections, which are like stateful objects, and have access to all the attributes and the database and stuff into the shape of the payload that your React app expects. Cool. Have you had people play with like GraphQL with Mirage yet? Since that kind of feels like feels like everything we've talked about so far has been like more like traditional REST API stuff. So if you're doing it with GraphQL, like 
how much changes and like what is sort of the story for that right now? Yeah, good question. Uh, yeah, Mirage was created before GraphQL even existed. Yeah, so exactly. The, the route the route APIs definitely are, are focused on REST. But um, yeah, I actually have some buddies at uh, at Heroku who have been using Mirage with GraphQL for six months now, and um, they are they 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 love it. So and they've been using it before that with REST, but. Uh, that's been successful, and basically, it looks like uh, you know your your routes config hook is going to have like one endpoint. So it's going to be like post to slash GraphQL or something yeah. like that, and um, the body of that code is going to be. So right now, to answer the question, there's no first class APIs in Mirage to help with that, mm-hmm. but you still get to take advantage of the data layer, which is like one of the biggest benefits of using Mirage because it helps again maintain yeah. that referential integrity across your queries and mutations so, so the so way it looks doing? to, act, yeah, so yeah, to actually handle it you would just you, there's an npm package called graphql which is used just by like a lot the of main the, graphql package yes. that's used for parsing graphql queries like period yeah exactly and so i have a little gist that i've been sharing with people but we're going to add some to the doc soon but basically yeah post route handler is a function that runs anytime you make that request and you just use the graphql query to um parse it and you give it like a set of resolvers and it it's pretty awesome actually because <laughs> when i was learning graphql on a side project and using mirage to mock it out like my mirage server was like more robust than like any rails server i'd ever written because that graphql library is incredible the feedback it gives you because mm-hmm. graphql is typed so if i made a mistake in a query that I was sending over from like my React app or Vue app, Mirage was like giving me these really high fidelity errors about you know what was wrong. But anyways, like you end up writing these resolvers, and because you're in that function body for the post requests, the resolvers can just you know access the database. So let's say you have like a get all movies query in your GraphQL schema, um, you just define that right in your Mirage route handler right there that you return, and then it just returns like schema.movies.all. So nice. it ends up looking pretty succinct. And I definitely think there's some stuff we can do to make it even easier. But for now, there's nothing stopping you from using it together. Yeah. So at that point, it seems it feels like you're almost writing an entire GraphQL server, which I think leads to like sort of an interesting conversation around like, is there like a future where one day like Mirage, your Mirage definitions like actually could be your server. You know what I mean? Well, that's funny you ask that because you know it didn't take long as people were doing more and more in Mirage to ask like, can I just deploy this? Like, I, I have this all working. I love the Mirage <laughs> API. It's like sweet modern JavaScript version of Rails that's like really fast for me to write. Can I just deploy it? Like, it's ready and it actually does the logic I want. Um, and I always resisted that. Um, making it so you could deploy Mirage. Now, people do deploy like a static version where you can make a production build of your app and have it, and you can even use local storage to like uh, get your initial seeds from and then save it to as people mutate. So people actually have shipped very high-fidelity prototypes. That's one of the things that is a great use case for Mirage is to mock out your API and then have a scenario switcher even and then persist to local storage, and you could use an app, and it would feel like a completely real app. But it would be good yeah. for like your sales team to go demo with or or whatever. Um, so people have effectively done that. Um, but as far as like deploying it to a real server, an application server, uh, that that's we haven't done that yet. But we do have Node on the roadmap for a few reasons. So to answer your question, um, there is a possible future world where you know whether you are starting with Mirage. Um, 
and then taking the Mirage definition and basically generating an instant backend that matches it, mm-hmm. or using something like you know schema files from GraphQL and having Mirage automatically ingest those, but also using those to to generate your backend. Um, because like Hasura is like this uh, this backend as a service which just needs like the schema from a Postgres database to generate an entire GraphQL server. And so you yeah. can imagine you can imagine there being a Hasura Mirage uh, package. And yeah. it does exactly the same thing, but now you can build an app offline locally and and, and affect the state in your ser- in your tests and all the benefits of Mirage without writing any co- any code at all. Yeah. So um, there's definitely like for me that's the most exciting thing because kind of like we talked about on our you know our interview before like once you start writing more of these fat client apps that have more of the logic and your servers become thinner. And they kind of become like dumb data layers in the same way that SQL is for mm-hmm. you know Rails and Laravel apps. Um, you just don't want to spend a lot of time, just like you don't want to be writing SQL when you're building a Laravel app, right? Yeah. So um, as you're doing this and you're building basically a full UI that basically works, you're just like, yeah, I'm done. Let's uh, let's let, 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 <laughs> yeah. a, comp- let yeah, a computer yeah, yeah. do the rest. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's an interesting like way to sort of look at that whole problem of okay how do i keep my mirage server and my real api in sync looking at that from a different perspective instead of like oh man it's becoming so our mirage server is so complicated and blah 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 how are we going to keep these in sync it's just like well maybe maybe there's a solution where we can just delete the real server (laughs) (laughs) and like generate the real server from mirage essentially as long as it and i mean it's really it's really interesting i can see how it's obviously like a much bigger deeper complicated problem than it could ever sound at first glance but it is it is interesting to think like there's got to be applications out there where that would be sufficient like where you wouldn't even have to build the the truly full-on crazy complex version of this um for it to replace like an app that works fine enough with firebase or something you know what i mean as a first step at least Totally, we have we have a plan because we do want to add Node support for a, a few reasons. Um, but once we do, it means Mirage will run in Node, which means it could be deployed as a real server. And so, for instance, on Ember Map, we have a blog that's like public data. It's all public. It's like a simplest part of our website because it doesn't depend on your auth status. And uh, we run a Node server already in front of our Rails API to do proxying and server side rendering of the Ember app. Mm-hmm. And so, our first test actually, kind of in the in our backlog, is once we get Node support. Can we replace the entire blog endpoint with you know Mirage handling that? And so you would just use your same Mirage server definition, but instead of instantiating it in the browser, you would just throw in a middleware with Express that checks, oh, can Mirage handle this request? If so, let it do it. If not, yeah, yeah, yeah. keep going. So that's that's like the first sort of step. A progressive enhancement story there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then goal is to delete the Rails code base. So Very that'd be cool. pretty awesome. Yeah, that is pretty cool. <laughs> well, cool, man. I think that's probably a good place to wrap up. What's Where's the best place for people to sort of learn more about Mirage, keep up with sort of the new work that you're doing on it and stuff like that? Yeah, uh, we just released a new homepage, miragejs.com, that has all the information you need about the project. And we have a Discord where uh, people have been joining and uh, trying it out in all their apps. And again, it works with, you know, it works with a lot of different, with basically any JavaScript uh, technology. So 
um, swing on by and let us know if you have any questions. Well, there you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Sam about Mirage JS. If you're interested in the show notes for this episode, you can find them at fullstackradio.com slash 133. You might have noticed that there's no longer any sponsors on the show. I decided to get rid of that stuff just to make it a better listening experience for you. But if you do want to support the show in any way, the best way to do it is to pick up one of my books or courses. You can find all the information for that stuff at adamwathen.me slash courses. Hope you enjoyed the episode and we'll see you next time. Time.